You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Late one night, there was a small little voice that was heard from the bedroom across the hall. Mommy, I'm scared. To which mom responds sympathetically, honey, don't be afraid. I'm right across the hall. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. After a short period of time, there was a series of large thunderclaps off in the distance, and the little voice again said, I'm still scared. (laughs) Mom replies, you don't need to be afraid, sweetheart. Close your eyes and pray, and remember that Jesus is always with you. Well, it was quiet for a while, and it seemed as if the little boy had finally settled down until he started speaking while standing right next to his mom's bed. Hi, Mom. Could I, could I just get in bed with you and Dad right now? Mom was about to lose her patience with her son when he said, Mommy, I know that Jesus is always with me, but right now I need Jesus with skin on. <laughs> Ever been there? Right? The moment, the experience, the, the challenge, the crisis, whatever, you know that God is with you, but right now you could use Jesus with skin on. You know, growing up as a kid, I really wasn't afraid of the dark. I wasn't afraid to go to bed at night until, until I watched an episode of a TV program called Night Gallery. Anybody ever remember that show? Some of you, yeah, yeah. It was a creepy show. And that night, the episode had a painting on the wall, and the scene in the painting kept changing. And it, it, was, it was kind of macabre to start with. And so it was totally freaking out the main character. And it was totally freaking me out. And when the show ended, it was late at night. And I went to bed immediately after. And what you need to know is my bedroom was actually in the basement. Not far from where our TV was. And I could not get any sleep. I just had images of that painting in my head, and it just kept tormenting me. So I finally got up, and I started turning on lights in the basement. And each time I I thought, one more light, and I'll be better. And I had all the lights on in the basement. And I finally fell asleep, but it was not a good sleep. I truly, I truly, I wanted so badly to go upstairs and sleep where everyone else was, because it just seemed safer. I wanted, to, I wanted to sleep where there was kind of Jesus with skin on, you know? We all need that. King Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, kind of speaks into why we're actually better together. Look, look what he writes. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. That first phrase in verse 9 says, two are better than one. And the verses that follow contrast the difference between two people versus just one person. 
The two have a good return for their work, Solomon says. Not that they make more money, which they probably do or potentially they do, but rather they create a synergy in which they complement each other's talents and experiences. In verses 10 through 12, he gives us this picture of two people on a journey together. The two are better than one because if one of them falls down, his friend is there to help him up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. The idea that he gives here is that if one falls into a pit or they fall into a trap while traveling across country, he can receive immediate help from his friend. But the person who is traveling alone may end up dying there. On a cold night, when it's not possible to start a fire, the two can keep each other warm. And if someone tries to rob you during this journey, two can defend themselves. Solomon's making this case that two are always better than one. Now here's the question. Who has your back? Who is the person who, when you face a crisis or you find yourself terrified, is Jesus with skin on in your life? Who is the person you can count on when you face challenges, when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, when you face a crisis? Who are those people? I know that every single person listening who's going through a difficult time wonders if they'll ever make it through the crisis. They may even wonder, does it matter if I make it? Do I matter in the midst of this? And the truth is, you do matter. I think that's what the author of Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. If you want to flip over there real quick. He's talking to the church, and he urges us to hold tight to our hope in God, because God always, always keeps his promises. And then he pivots from that conversation, and he starts talking about our relationships with each other. Verse 24, he says, let us think of ways. Let us think of ways. This is, this is a mental image here. We're sitting around and we're brainstorming. Let's come up with some ways with this whole bunch of people and all of these ideas to do what? He says, to motivate one another. Now, some use the translation to stir up, to fire up. How can we stir up one another? To do what? We're brainstorming ideas how to motivate and stir each other up to do what? He says, to acts of love and good works. This all happens in the context of a community. And then he goes on in verse 25 and he says, And let us not neglect. He said, don't ignore, don't overlook our meeting, our gathering together. As some people do. But what's the word then he says? He says, encourage. Say that with me. Encourage one another. There's a great definition for the word encourage. I just learned it recently. Let me loan you my courage. Let me loan you my courage. You might say to a friend, I know that maybe you're discouraged right now, and I know that there are some things in life that are coming against you, so let me actually loan you some of my courage. I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm going to loan you some of my courage. I'm going to show you how you can get through this. I'm going to walk through this with you so that you can get through this day. Let's encourage one another the writer of Hebrews says, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It would be tragic for someone to quit because of the lack of encouragement and then Jesus return the next day. It would be tragic. So he's saying, encourage one another. 
Because Jesus can come at any time. This is so true. The need for encouragement, especially in the world that we live in, oftentimes it is so harsh and so discouraging and so divisive. Let's not give up meeting together. We need each other. Let's continue to stir one another up to acts of love and good works, and let's encourage one another to not quit. There's an important observation, I think, that's going on here in this text, and that observation is this. The people were seriously discouraged, and that's true today. There's a lot to be discouraged by. How many of you, show of hands, would say you had something happen in your life this week that discouraged you? Anybody? Look around. It's most everybody. It's amazing the power that other people and external circumstances that are beyond our control can have on the quality of our day or even greater than that, our life. The truth is this. There isn't a person that you will lock eyes with on any given day who doesn't need some encouragement. Because we all do. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody Here's the amazing thing about encouragement. When you give it, when you give encouragement, you receive it. When you give it, you receive it. If you don't believe me, just try something today. Just genuinely encourage someone in the sphere of your world, or maybe someone who's totally random. Just encourage them and see that you don't walk away actually feeling better yourself. It, does, it just has that. It's like a B12 shot. It pumps you up. It, it, it perks you up. In fact, did you know that the only place in the Bible where it actually encourages us to be competitive is in the area of encouragement? Now, how many of you would say you're naturally competitive? How many of you are, are, are there any competitors here? Yeah, this is always funny. There's always one guy who's like, yeah, I'm number one at competition. In fact, my arm was up first, you know. I'm doing both arms because I'm better. I'm winning, you know. <laughs> Some of you, you just, you, you got to win whatever it is, right? Well, I, I get that. I'm kind of competitive. Uh, and the truth is my lovely wife is also very competitive, Makes for an interesting dynamic. We do a lot of things together competitively. I was much more of a trash talker in the first service, but I'm much more reserved now. She's here. But we have played golf. We have played tennis. She is a wicked putt-putter. I mean, you talk about people trash-talking over putt-putt, but we do it. And when it comes to games like backgammon and other games like that, we're very competitive. But she hates to play cards with me because she knows I'm a better card player than she is, especially when it comes to the game Canasta. And what's funny is we don't play it that often, but when we do winning right here, winning. Now, Competition can be good. It can bring out the best in people. It can be bad, like right now, bring out the worst in marriages, things like that. But one of the ways that it brings out good is in the Scripture where the Bible encourages us to be competitive in this area of, of, of encouragement. Look what he says in uh, Romans, the 10th cha- 12th chapter, verse 10. Excuse me. Love one another with brotherly affection. He's talking right here about like siblings. Love each other like you do your brothers and sisters. 
Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. What he's saying here is honor is another word for encouragement. He's saying, I want you to I want you to try to outdo each other in encouraging the body. I want you to encourage so much that it's almost like a competition. Now, this doesn't mean that you walk around and you go, dude, you're awesome. (laughs) No, no, man, you're awesome. No, no, you're awesome. It's not a competition to see who's the most awesome. What this talks about is that you're genuine. You're genuine, you're living a life that's focused on seeing the difference that other people are making. And you actually appreciate that in them. You see what they're doing and you point it out and you say, man, that's awesome. I really value what you're doing there. Keep it up. If you admire somebody's giftedness or their service or their faithfulness, then tell them. Don't just think it, tell them. You'll make that person's day, I promise. You have no idea what's going on below the waterline in their life. They may be dealing with massive discouragement right now. This this will help them. This This will bump them up, encourage them, strengthen them. We need to encourage everybody. In fact, this is a key point that we want. We want it to be a vital quality of our church culture. We want to encourage people up, encourage people down, encourage people all around. Up, down, all around. Now, can I say that it's taken me a while to learn this? In fact, the truth is, I'm still learning this. Some of you know me well, know that I speak the language of sarcasm fluently. And I have a very active sense of humor, especially in my teens and my 20s. Man, I'd interact with somebody, and I was always looking for a way to put them down. That was, the, that was the strength. In fact, I was so good at it that in middle school, junior high school, I even thought it might be my spiritual gift. I was so good at it. Now, it's not a gift, okay? It's not. But at the time, I thought, you know, I'm really good at this, you know? I found it an easy way to break the ice oftentimes, but it was also probably a mechanism that I use to cover up for my own insecurities. I'd always see the joke in every situation, and almost always I'd go for it. I just saw it as teasing. It was no big deal. But it was a big deal. Here's what I would do. I'd make a joke at somebody's expense, and then I would say, if, that, if I seemed to think that they were dinged or wounded by it, I'd say, hey, dude, you Okay. Right? I only mess with people who I love. You know that, right? You good? Okay, great. And I'd go my way and he'd go his way. Only he wasn't okay. I made fun of him. I'd hurt his feelings. And he's walking away wounded emotionally. I didn't even know it most of the time. I've gotten to the point, though, where now I still see the joke. I just, most of the time, I try not to say it. Now, yesterday was really, really hard. We were sitting at the football game in the upper deck on the west side, and my daughter Natalie and I were sitting there, and there was a guy three rows behind us who is an expert in college football. Who knew that we were so blessed to have one of the key experts just three rows behind us? 
And not only was that, he was willing to share his expertise with not only us, but everyone in the section. And he would use it, he would do it with colorful language. It was just such a blessing. And about midway through the second quarter, I was thinking of all these things that I could say, because I have almost a gift, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm preaching on this tomorrow, you know? This is really good. So I just told Natalie, you know, what I want to say. And she's like, you're messed up, Dad. You're really messed up. Instead of going for the joke, I'm trying to look for a way to encourage now. And I'm telling you, it's a work in progress. Some of you probably identify. There's one other thought that I wanted to share, and that's don't be one of those people who says... I don't want to encourage you too much because you might get big-headed, right? Do you know those people in your life? If you don't have one of those people in your life, there's a probability you might be that person, okay? That's the person who says, hey, I'm a humility broker. It's my job to make sure that you are kept humble. Here's the truth. It's not your job to keep other people humble. That's God's job. And he is pretty effective at it. So let's let him do that. Northeast should be the most encouraging environment that you find yourself in every single week. We should come in here with the Holy Spirit's help, looking to encourage each other every week. I read this week, uh, Gallup poll found that 70% of people they surveyed said they hate their job. 70%. Now, that was, this poll was a few years old, but even if there's, this is anywhere near to being true, that tells me that every week there is a flood of people who are rolling in here who need to be encouraged. They're facing great discouragement. We, should, we cannot encourage people enough. We should be encouraging all the time around here. Even if someone loves their job, there may be other things going on. Maybe their marriage is in a valley. And it's discouraging. Maybe, maybe they're lonely. Or maybe they're at odds right now with a close friend and it hurts them. They're hurting. Maybe they're dealing with some financial problems. And they're the cause of it. They caused it. Or maybe they're dealing with health problems or an addiction and that cycle. You know, they try to break it, but it just continues to run its course. They can't seem to get off. Or maybe, maybe you come in here week after week. And you just feel tremendous amount of shame because of sin that you've committed in your life. It's discouraging. And the last thing you need is to be kicked when you are down. Philip Yancey is a Christian author who wrote about a young woman who was really, really struggling in her life. She was a prostitute and a drug addict at this point in her life who when someone asked her why she hadn't gone to the church for help, she responded by saying, church... Why would I go there? I already feel bad enough about myself. They just make me feel worse. Wow. Ouch. The one place on the planet that someone should be encouraged and helped, this woman sees as a place that will only make her feel worse. We need to do some rebranding. I think that we need to reframe our expectations about church and what it is that we get when we get here. Jesus calls us as his followers, as his disciples, into his mission in the world to find more and more people who are separated from him. 
And then he encourages us, the church, to continue to grow and mature in our faith. We see this in Acts chapter 2, how they framed this up, where this happened. Look what he says, Luke writes in verses 46 and 47. He says, they worshiped. He's talking about the first church now. He said, they worshiped together at the temple each day. Be kind of like this setting. It was a large gathering. They worshiped together every day at the temple. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then look at the result, what happened. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Why do you think that there were that many people being added to the fellowship? Why was that? It's because it was the most encouraging place in the city. God was doing something special among these people. And they said, we want to stir one another up. We want to encourage each other. And this is found best when we're with other believers in the context of a biblical community. So in the time we, got, we have left, I want to give you very quickly four, four things I think biblical community does to make our lives better. Number one, a biblical community helps you feel connected. Helps you feel connected. Groups help you feel connected in a big church setting. Sometimes people will say, Northeast is too big. It's just too big for me. But the number of people who attend doesn't determine whether or not truly a church is too big. A church often feels too big if you don't know anyone. Most of us have probably visited a church of 100 people or so that felt kind of big because we didn't know anybody there. You don't need to know everyone, but you do need to know someone. And a biblical community provides the opportunity for that. Number two, a biblical community helps facilitate your spiritual growth. We're not just getting together around here in these groups to have a social hour, just to have fun. Now, that's important. Don't get me wrong. And we do that really well. But it's more than that. It's about, it's about getting together so that we can grow. A biblical community is where you actually dig into the Bible. You can ask questions so that you can grow spiritually. As we talked extensively last week, our faith grows best in a biblical community, and it does. Number three, a biblical community helps give you protection. Now, why do we need protection? Well, the truth is, we're in a spiritual fight. And there are times when you're going to need some backup. You need some support. Who's the person who has your back at that time? Who's the person who's praying for you when you ask them to pray? Who's the person who will be there at a moment's notice? Who are those people who you can always count on, your go-to people? Who are those people, spiritually speaking? Don't forget what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, excuse me, verses 9 and 12 of verse, chapter 4. Two people are better than one. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Who's that person? Who are those people who have your back in the fight? Number four, a biblical community helps encourage you to stay in the fight. This is one of the reasons why that man camp uh, illustration or, or commercial that you saw earlier, Anthony gave, is so important. Is because there are a lot of guys... A lot of men, a lot of women even, but in the context of that, that, that commercial, there are a lot of guys that are going to want to quit. 
over the course of this next year. We, we all get discouraged. In fact, some of you are thinking, I don't need to do that. I don't even know if I need to do this. Some of you are probably looking at this whole idea of getting into a group and saying, I don't want to get in a group. Or maybe you had a bad experience in the past and you said, I've given up on groups. And I get that. I do. But the New Testament gives us this model that, that is focused on these biblical communities, these medium-sized and small-sized groups. In fact, if you look at it, Jesus himself actually had a group. <laughs> he had his disciples around him. If you think that your group is lousy, if you think you have a bad group, take a really good look at his group. I mean, when the chips were down, they all deserted him, right? And he had that whole Judas thing going on the whole time the group was meeting, right? This thing, this group was kind of a mess. In fact, Jesus knew all of this would happen, and he still invited all of them to be part of the group. Here's my point. If Jesus needed a group, what makes you think, what makes me think that we don't need a group? So can I ask you, who's in your group? Who is it that you call for when you need backup? Who is it that is Jesus with skin on when you're terrified in the middle of a crisis? Who's got your back spiritually? Maybe this is your first time to visit Northeast. You walked in here today, and we're talking about getting connected to groups. You can still get in a group. Now, you might say, but Monty, you don't, you don't even know me. I said, I, that doesn't matter. Sign up. doesn't matter. You say, I don't know that I'm even a Christian. I don't care. Sign up. I don't care. doesn't matter. You might even say, I don't even know that I believe in God the same way you do. Listen, here's what I want you to do. That's okay. I want to encourage you to get connected here and do it today. And then begin to process what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It all starts in the context of a biblical community. We've been talking all throughout this series. The easiest way to sign up is just go online, ncclex.org. You can go to the toolbar, hit the connection point button, and the options drop down. You can explore all that. You can sign up right there. You can do it right now. I'd encourage you to do it. Or maybe you'd rather just check it out. There's hard copies out here at two information walls in our, in our lobbies. And then there are cards out there you can fill out. Very simple. Just fill it out. Sign up for, for one of those groups. If you sign up online or, or out in the lobby, somebody's going to follow up with you this week. It's a short week, but we're committed to that. And so I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll do that. Every one of us needs encouragement. Every one of us needs some go-to people. And if you don't have that in your life, and I'm talking about beyond your family, you need it. You need that, especially when it comes to growing spiritually. Okay, let me close with this. Shortly after my youngest daughter, Natalie, got engaged... We had a conversation where she told me she wanted to dance with me at her reception. She said it's the father-daughter dance, and she wanted us to do that. And that created a problem for me. The truth is, I'll do just about anything for my daughters. That's true. 
But when it comes to dancing, uh, that's just something that I don't do. I don't do it privately much. I definitely don't do it publicly, okay? And I explained my concerns about dancing in public, and my wife chimed in. And she said, you know what? We could all take ballroom dancing lessons together. That would be fun, she said. And i got to be honest with you. My definition of fun, there is, no, there is no definition there that includes ballroom dancing lessons. Right? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, thank you. Yes, we're going to have a revival right now. <laughs> it was at that moment then she said, I want to dance with you too at the reception. So we can take lessons together. I knew at that point, man, I was in way over my head. So Natalie and I went to our first dance lesson together. And we met our instructor. It was this nice young lady who had been a ballerina, and now she was teaching as a career ballroom dance. She was really great. She was probably the most encouraging instructor that they had there. She exhibited this remarkable patience with me. I was incredibly self-conscious, but she helped me not to focus so much on my inabilities and focus on the things I was doing well. Never once did she lose her cool with me or laugh at me. Never once did she yell, scream, threaten, or swear at me. And never once did she use the word dummy or idiot to describe my dancing. Instead, this kind instructor encouraged me time and again giving me coaching like it was the first time she'd said it, even though she probably said it hundreds and hundreds of times. She repeated the same basic steps with me over and over again until I finally had them down, at least 80%. (laughs) And her encouragement helped make this possible, the father-daughter dance. I'm not sure it would have happened without her help and her encouragement. It was deeply meaningful as a moment that Natalie and I got to share, both for Natalie and for me. Who would have thought I would have cherished dancing that much? Now, I wasn't ready for Dancing with the Stars, but I would never have traded those crazy, ridiculous lessons because of what happened as a result. The encouragement that she gave Natalie and I, it happened because an instructor took their time and said, hey, I'm going to help you through this. And she did. Think about all the amazing things that could happen in your life if you were surrounded by a handful of people who gave you a little bit of encouragement at times. You know, you can find that in a biblical community. It's there you find people who have your back, people who are Jesus with skin on in the midst of the crisis. They're there to stir you up to love and good works. And they're there to encourage you to not quit because Jesus might come tomorrow. The truth is, King Solomon was right. We are better together. Two are better than one. So if you're not connected, I hope today you won't leave here until you sign up and find a place to connect in biblical community. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you right now for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for Jesus going the extra mile so that we might have 
a relationship with you for all eternity. God, as we've been studying through this series about just how important community is, we see in your, in your New Testament, biblical community is a vital part of your plan. I just pray that you give each of us courage to sign up so that we can connect with others. Lord, it's my prayer today that not one of us would leave this place isolated or disconnected because we're you know, too proud or too afraid or, or nervous or insecure in some way, shape, or form. I pray that we would take the step to get connected so that when we make the next phase of this journey, we do it not by ourselves, but with others. And we know that we are better together, God. And we thank you for that. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.